All right, let's let's pray and we'll jump right into it because we have a lot of lot to cover and it's just we're gonna have to take more than three Sundays. I've figured out, but that's okay. Um, let's bow our heads, Father. We do thank you for this time that we have together that we can look over what it is that we believe uh, and why we believe it. And Lord, we just ask that. Uh, you would just help us as a church to understand these things, uh, that we would uh, dig into your word and uh, comprehend uh, some of the, the fundamental, fundamental truths that you have set forth um, and what it means to be a Christian. And, and so we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, uh, to lead us, and uh, yeah, we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. All right, so last Sunday we got all the way through sanctification, um, and so we're going to pick up from there, uh, and so on our statement of faith, item number 11 is of perseverance of the saints. Um, it says this, we believe that such are only real believers as endure unto the end, that their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial prof professors, that a special providence watches over their welfare, and that they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Um, and so basically what this is telling us is that those who Christ calls to himself, um, he keeps. Does that make sense? A good passage on that, uh, John 8. Um, turn there real quick. Thirty-one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, and here, here he's talking to uh, some of the Jews that were challenging him in some of his claims. Um, yeah, and uh, if we continue a little further, it says, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Um, and so Jesus talks about how he has the power to set us free from our slavery to sin. Any, any thoughts or questions on the perseverance of the saints? The one that's, to distinguish, I, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you say that uh, it's those who, uh, you know, fall away, you know, were never really Christians to begin with, or that they're, or is it possible to be, be saved and then lose it? Uh, what, what this, what I believe and what I think scripture teaches is that those who fall away were never Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we learned that from the book of Hebrews. So what do you do with James chapter five? All right. James chapter five, where let's, let's go there. Which verses? Uh, 19 and 20. 19 and 20, okay. 
My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Yeah, and so here James is talking about bringing people back into the fold, right? Um, and so either one or two, one of two things, or maybe it could be either or, is happening here. Um, one, it could be someone never was a believer, had been in the church, wandered away. They bring them back into the faith. They bring the gospel to them. They believe. Um, so it could be someone who was never a believer that becomes a believer. Or it could be a believer who is wandering in the faith, right? Um, who's uh, not walking in the spirit as he should be or she should be, um, and bringing them back in. Does that make sense? The prodigal is a perfect example, really, of someone who belonged mm -hmm. and wandered. And I myself have been there throughout my Christian 43 years. I've, they used to call it backsliding, where yeah. I preferred sin at a, a moment in time and mm -hmm. instead of you know, the beauty of Christ yeah the spirit yeah me back into faith until finally my love of Christ overpowered as it were by grace that backsliding um, but even Paul said, you know, wretched man that I am, why is it that I do what I hate and don't do what I love? And mm -hmm. So it's that process of coming back to the Father. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think one thing that we tend to get caught up in is that there's got to be like this official way that God saves people, right? Um, that what my story looks like should be everybody else's story. And that's just not the case. Um, and so God, in his wisdom, works in different people different ways, um, takes them through different trials, different challenges. Uh, and But I think one thing we can have confidence in is that when God chooses to save someone, he, he, he doesn't let them go. Um, that's what Jesus said in John, you know. Mm -hmm. Whoever the Father has given him, not one will perish. Yeah. Not one of them Yeah. Exactly. And um, that he who began a good work in us will complete it to the end. Yep. Yep. Any other thoughts or questions on this before we move on to the next one? All right. Of the harmony and of the law and the gospel. Uh, it says, we believe that the law of God is the eternal and unchangeable rule of his moral government, that it is holy, just, and good, and that the inability which the scriptures ascribe to fallen men to fulfill its precepts arises entirely from their love of sin, to deliver them from which and to restore them through a mediator to unfeigned obedience to the holy law is the one great end of the gospel and of the means of grace connected with the establishment of the visible church. All right, nice long run-on sentence there, um, which ha is communicating a lot of things, but what it's trying to harp on here is that there is a harmony, like it says, a harmony between the law and the gospel, right? Um, that there is a link between the two. And so God's law, why, why is God's law? Why do we have God's law? Anybody know? It points us to the fact that we need more than the law. <laughs> it does. Yeah, we are sinners. Yeah. Yeah, and so when we think of the law, um, you know, Martin Luther, he, he uh, in, in his writings, he, he talks about three uses of the law. Um, 
And so the three uses, one would be exactly what you said. It, it shows us that we are a sinner. It shows us our need for a Savior. Um, other uses, it also curbs sin. Um, if, there, if there was no law, uh, it would just be a free-for-all. Um, it would be anarchy and it would just be chaos. Uh, and so it curbs sin. Uh, the other thing, too, that Martin Luther says, and he says that this one's specifically for, for the Christian, is that it shows to us what a good work is. Um, and so without God's law, we don't know what a good work is. Does that make sense? Um, and so the law and the gospel are interconnected because, uh, I think it was Sproul who, who gave this analogy one time. He, he talked about how, uh, you know, we always talk about how we're saved uh, by grace through faith, right? Um, but he said, while that's true, we're also saved by works, just not our own works. Mm-hmm. Um, we're saved by the works of Christ. And so we see the fulfillment of the law in Jesus Christ, in the life that he lived. And so part of the gospel is, is that Jesus lived the sinless life that we could not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Before I read, because I'm in Old Testament, and I just finished the Red the more I understand by grace the law, the more I perceive the love of God in giving the law mm-hmm. as a means of governing the best way for society to be. Yeah. If, if we would adhere to the goodness found in the law, not in law-keeping itself, but in the goodness of the law-giver. And the reasoning behind the law, the law becomes precious. Yeah. Yeah, and what's great about that is the gospel, what is this ultimate end? It's a fulfillment of the law. It is to, to build a people that would be obedient to the law. Um, and so when we think about uh, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, what is that going to be like? Well, it's going to be a people that are obedient to the law. Um, and so as God sanctifies us in this life, um, he is changing us more and more into the image of his son, into the one who actually fulfilled the law. Um, and then when Christ returns, we will see the glorification of our bodies, right? Um, and sin will be done away with totally. And we will be a people that's under the law. And so we're saved to an end, right? Um, it, it, we're not saved so that we can go out and sin some more. Um, we're saved because he is, God is creating a people that will, that will be obedient to his will. The, the truth of the matter is there is a government in God's economy. There is a mm. government. And government dictates life. The sure. way you live under the rule of that government. Sure. And so therefore, Christ being Lord of Lords, King of Kings, says what government we will be living under in his kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we, we saw it right at the beginning with Adam and Eve. The government was established there with God as king. Um, and we will see it at the end. Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions on the law and gospel? All right, of a gospel church. We believe that a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers associated by a covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the ordinances of Christ governed by, the, by his laws, and exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, 
that its only scriptural offices are bishops or pastors and deacons whose qualifications, claims, and duties are defined in the epistles of epistles to Timothy and Titus. And so, again, what, what this is saying is, how, how do we know a church is a church, right? Basically, that's, that's what this thing is going over. Um, and so a, a church is, you know, where two or more are gathered, right? Of believers, baptized believers, it says here. Um, associated by covenant and faith. Um, and so they covenant with one another. They fellowship with one another. Um, there are certain observing ordinances with one another. So what, what, what are the ordinances we observe? Anybody know? What? Meeting on Sunday morning. Communion and baptism. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Governed by his laws. And so we, we hold true to uh, a certain morality that God has set forth for us. Um, exercising the gifts. And so, you know, as believers, we're all gifted in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we exercise gifts with one another. Uh, rights and privileges. What are some of the rights and privileges that we have as believers in Christ? As, as part of the church? Yeah. We can vote. Yeah, we can vote, yeah. If we're a member of the church, we can, we can take vote. Um, we can take communion. Yeah, taking communion is a privilege. Yeah. You know, it says we believe that the invisible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in faith and fellowship of the gospel. And yet I look back and I in gospel what I've seen was never defined in this confession. In, in the confession well yeah, I would say yes and no. Um, it's defined over a numerous points. Right. Um, but the fact that it's a covenant mm -hmm. in faith and fellowship of the gospel. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's pretty intense there. Mm -hmm. It's a covenant of faith and fellowship of the gospel, and yet the gospel itself, what is the gospel? I know mm -hmm. what the gospel is. I mean, the short and sweet, I know. Yeah. I just thought it was strange that it has not, in this confession, the gospel itself was not defined. Well, I, I would say that it is defined. Um, the, the, the thing with the gospel is there, there are numerous points to the gospel, right? And so if you look back, you know, even point number two of the true gods. So in order to understand the gospel, you need to know who the true God is. Um, point number three of the fall of man. In order to understand the gospel, you need to know that we are fallen sinners. Um, point number four of the way of salvation. And so we, we, we talk about how, we, how, we, how God saves us. Um, it talks about justification, the freeness of salvation, the grace of regeneration, repentance and faith, and, and, and so forth. Uh, and so the gospel there is just broken up into various points. Does that make sense? It uses the word gospel, yes. Yeah. I agree. And I do agree what you're saying. I just think it's strange that the gospel which is so crucial to all these points. Yeah. Is not defined itself. Well, you have pages equally as long, or you could put in John 3.16 and just be done with it. There it is. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> what is the gospel? What is it that all this is about? Yeah. And when we use the word gospel, what does gospel mean? Good news. Good news, right? 
Um, and so gospel gets used in a few different ways. Uh, one, it could be used to describe four different books of the Bible, right? Um, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John. Um, it, it can be used to describe sharing the message of Jesus to someone, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, it, while we don't, I, I don't see a point on here that says this is a gospel, um, I, I believe that the gospel is in this confession. It's just broken up because the gospel is so deep. Um, it's broken up into the various different points. If there were to ever be a question on the gospel, you can go back to one of these headings. That yeah. Think. Yep. Yeah. One thing I want to bring up, too, that's important is on our membership form, uh, this isn't explaining what the gospel is, but in fact, the form of a covenant. So on our membership form, we have this new hope church of Oxford membership or members commitment. And so if you guys look at that, I'm going to view it because it talks about, you know, I will protect the unity of my church. I will share the responsibility for my church. I will serve the Lord through my church. I will support the ministry and testimony of my church. So that's yeah. the commitment that a member makes. And then there's a commitment from the church to the members that says the elders on behalf of our entire church family commitment to, or commit um, to love you, pray for you, Keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It is our desire to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, your family, and your friendship. Yeah, and so yeah, we'll we'll be going over the the covenant after after we're done with all this. But yeah, it's yeah whenever we get there. <laughs> Hopefully before the end of the year. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Um, yeah, there's definitely a, when, when we look at this, this section, there, there's definitely a covenant that we need, need to make with one another to, to watch out for one another um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and that's, that's very important. And I think that's really what, you know, I, I would hate to say that that's the heart of the church because there's so many things that are the heart of the church, right? Um, but if we're not committed to one another, are we really a church, right? You know, I, I would say no. You know, without that commitment, without covenanting, covenanting with one another. Um, any other thoughts or questions on this point? I think two just Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the requirements that we have for being a member of our church is being a baptized believer. Yeah. Just really quick uh, mm -hmm. to kind of finish off, we had mentioned that um, communion is one of the rights and privileges uh, invested in us by mm -hmm. church. Could you just quickly go over a couple others that you had in mind? Rights and privileges. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, well, one thing I, I don't know who mentioned it. One thing we we make decisions together as a church, and so uh, members of the church will have a, a vote um, in matters like, for instance, when I was called as a pastor here, the church needed to vote, right? And so you had a voice. Um, if you guys didn't like me or if you thought I was unfit, you could vote no. Um, or you should have vote, voted no. <laughs> um, I did. <laughs> so you were the one. No. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and other things, you know, future things may come forward. Say our church grows and we want to split off into another church plan or something like that. Um, well, there again, 
you you guys would have a voice in this. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's different things. Uh, uh, it's a privilege to have brothers and sisters looking after you, um, watching over your life. And sometimes we don't see it that way, right? We're like, oh, you know, stop bothering me. Um, but it's it's really a privilege. Um, and so we, when we have brothers and sisters looking after our lives, making sure that we are uh, remaining true to the gospel, remaining true to the faith, um, you know, that's that's a privilege. Um, yeah. All right. Let's let's move on. Of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we believe that. The Christian baptism is the immersion in water of a believer into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost to show forth in a solemn and beautiful emblem our faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior with its effect in our death to sin and resurrection to a new life, that it is a prerequisite to the privileges of a church relation and to the Lord's Supper, in which the members of the church, by sacred use of bread and wine, are to commemorate together the dying love of Christ, preceded always by solemn self-examination. All right, another really long run-on sentence there, <laughs> combining a couple thoughts into one. Um, but basically, we see baptism and the Lord's Supper as uh, the two ordinances that are given in scripture uh, to us by Jesus. Um, and so with baptism, we believe in immersion in water. Do you have a question? Well, I, I was just going to clarify here. Uh, yeah. Would you say that baptism, it, it, it says that uh, prerequisite to the privileges of the church relation and to the Lord's Supper, does that mean that um, you should be baptized before you partake in communion? Technically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, okay. See, that's... Yeah, I, I don't know how faithful we've been. We haven't been, we haven't yeah, been so that faithful. For example, we love yeah. Lucas. In, in, yeah. yeah. In practice, we haven't been doing that. Okay. Uh, it's really... It, we, it, it, I guess our church practice is more of an open communion, meaning if mm-hmm. you profess to believe in Christ, you are welcome to participate in communion. Some churches only allow members... Yep. Who are those who are officially members or recognized as members to participate in communion? We don't we don't do that either. Yeah, so we aren't here checking cards to make sure. That we're <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's a choice that every church needs to make whether they're going to be a members only uh, communion or open communion. Um, and our church has decided to be open communion, and because of that. Yeah, we're like like Jay said, we're we don't check your card. Yeah. Yeah, and and the the with, with children, it, you know, it becomes tricky because you know when do they believe, right? Yeah. Um, are they ready for baptism? And you know, there there's other issues too. You know, with uh, what. You know, I, I don't know what Lucas thinks of baptism or if he would be up for being dunked underwater. I think that's what he's afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so we need to take into consideration those things as well. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but this this is, these are good questions. Um, yeah. So... Baptism, we believe in immersion in water, and the reason we believe in that is because that's what we see in Scripture. That's the example that we see. Uh, you look at Christ's baptism. Um, in fact, let's let's turn to, to the Gospel of Mark. Let's look at that real quick. Mark chapter 1. Um, starting in verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so in Jesus' baptism, we see him coming up out of the water. And so that indicates to us that there was an immersion um, when he was baptized. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but basically, baptism, uh, we require that for membership. Uh, and then Lord's Supper, uh, as well, is another one of the, the ordinances that we see in Scripture as well. Um, in fact, we'll be doing it today. So, <laughs> um, Any thoughts or questions on that? All right, next one. Of the Christian Sabbath, we believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day or Christian Sabbath, and it is to be kept sacred to religious purposes by abstaining from all secular labor and sinful recreations by the devout observance of all the means of grace, both private and public, and by preparation for the rest that remaineth for the people of God. And so, basically, we, we, we celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday, <laughs> is, is what this is saying. Um, this was a practice of the early church. Um, uh, the, the early church, now what is unique about them is that we would see them going to synagogue on Saturdays and then gathering together on Sundays as well. Um, and so... Uh, there's kind of this transition that the early church was going through. Um, and we saw a little bit of that in the book of Acts when we were going through it. Um, but now the majority, at least early, early on, the majority of the church was Jews, right? Jews who had converted to the Christian faith. And so um, they already had that practice of going to synagogue on Sabbath, um, and they never left that practice. They added on the Lord's Day. Um, and then when Gentiles came into the fold, they didn't have that practice of going to synagogue on Sabbath, um, but they added on to their lifestyle, worshiping the Lord on Sundays. Does that make sense? remember when one of my motor drivers and I got into a pretty heated discussion about what the first day of the week was mm -hmm. because he was adamant that the first day of the week was Monday mm -hmm. and I went through the public schools in Pontiac and the first day of the week was Monday mm -hmm. that was our calendars shows Monday was the first really? day wow. yes and so when he and I began this bantering about the first day of the week, I said, just look at your calendar. Sunday's the first day of the week, blah, blah, blah. So I made my case based on our calendar. Mm -hmm. Well, I then looked up the fact that what is the first day of the week? Half of the world, half of the world determines the first day of the week is Sunday, and half of the world determines the first day of the week is Monday. So this confession mm -hmm. of the first day of the week, if someone were to come in from Europe, say, that would be Monday to them. Yeah. Because the European countries use Monday as the first day of the week, which I had no idea was... Real. Yeah. But if you investigate it, um, there are calendars that set Monday as the first day of the week. Well, Monday is the first day of the week. The sixth day is the Sabbath day, isn't it? Well, we, w I mean, the so the seventh day would be the Sabbath. Yeah, the seventh would be the Sabbath, so yeah. it would have to be Sunday, according to the Jewish rule. And isn't it significant that? Because it would be the seventh day. Sunday would be the... Yeah, but the, the Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday. Well, I know. It, 
but if you count the days from mm -hmm. which you're counting Sunday, it ends up to be the seventh day. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're playing with semantics now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I think of it as... Go ahead. The whole Easter weekend, you know. Uh -huh. uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he rose and for, even says, on the first day of the week, man, Magdalene went out. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> yeah, and again, that's, that's going off... Of, Jewish reckoning right. of the week. Um, yeah, and so, you know, we, we call it the Christian Sabbath. Yeah, it's on the first day of the week. Um, you know, whether you want to call it the first day or the seventh day, you know, I, I don't really care. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to lose my mind over it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the important thing is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's what Christ taught us. Um, and, and so a day of rest is important, um, and it's something that God gave to us for our benefit. Does that make sense? And I like Hebrews 4.10. It says that he that has entered into his rest has mm -hmm. ceased from his own yeah. So every day is the Sabbath day for the Christian. Yeah, yeah, and, and so we've we've entered the Sabbath rest of Christ. Yeah, um, and uh, you know I think when Hebrews mentions that it's probably referring to we're no longer underneath the law and bound to uh, the the burden of the law. Um, we are. Yeah, this section kind of has a law ring to it. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, we, we, we when we look at this confession, we look at the date that it was written, 1833. Mm -hmm. um, we got to think about what was some of the big debates that were going on um, within the church and the church body then. Um, and I'm not sure when the Seventh-day Adventist movement started, um, but it may have been during that time. I think that was back in the 1800s along with dispensation. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they were an offshoot of the... Um, yeah. And so this might have been a distinguishing mark that they set down in their, their covenant saying, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not meeting on Saturdays. We're meeting on Sundays. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's kind of off subject. Because mm -hmm. I had a Seventh day Adventist guy at, at work, and, and I didn't. It was weird that we were on the page, same page, a lot of areas, except for uh, Sundays. And, and mm -hmm. what did they do around Easter? I, I don't know. <laughs> it was weird that he was like. Yeah. It, he was very close to us. We were agreeing on a lot of stuff. It would just be weird to, I never even thought to ask them, what do you do Easter Sunday? Like, yeah. Resurrection Sunday, man. <laughs> well, on their, on their sign, on twenty four, they call it Sabbath School. So I would mm -hmm. imagine that they would celebrate, I'm not sure, um, but they would celebrate Easter on the Sabbath. Resurrection Eve? It's hard to say. Resurrection Eve. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I get that. Part. I mean, yeah. I, so, to them, Sabbath. Yeah. Be... You'll have to ask your friend. Because I have no idea what they do for Easter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just curious. And I truthfully didn't have uh, an underpinning in that area to be able to argue one day over the other. Yeah. It is curious, though, really, what they do with Easter Sunday. I'll have to watch the marquee. <laughs> yeah but but the example we see in scripture um is that they they would meet on the lord's day which would be sunday um and so that's what we do today and so we uh try to make this day holy um, does that make sense all right all right let's move on of oh yeah go ahead <laughs> 
how, how do we do that? Uh, well, one, we gather together as a fellowship of believers. Mm-hmm. Um, we worship our God. Uh, you know, we try to rest on this day as God has commanded us to do. Um, rest from our labors. Rest from our labors. Yeah, again, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so, you know, I mean, this is, what was the context of Jesus saying that? You know, he was healing someone on Sabbath, right? And they were having a fit about it. You're doing work, (laughs) you know. You have a flat tire on the way to church, don't change it. Yeah, don't change it. So if you're asked by your company to work every now and then on a, on a Sunday, it's not legalistically. Yeah, I mean, if it happens pretty regularly where you can't attend church, that becomes an issue, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, we want to we do the best we can with also being able to live our lives, right? So, for example... Uh, this morning, my wife and my son are not here at church because my son has a gymnastics meet. Um, he has like six meets a year, and about four of them meet on Sundays. Um, and so we have to weigh, you know, is it worth him, you know, disregarding his team, not being there for his team four Sundays a year, you know, What's what is a better witness, you know? And so those are things we need to weigh in our minds. Um, and people can they may come to different convictions on that. Um, you know, there may be, might be something that says, you know, I'm not going to miss one Sunday for gymnastics. And okay, you know, if that's your conviction, that's your conviction. Um, you know, for us, we we weigh, uh, you know, what what is best for our son right now. Well, we do have him in church pretty much every Sunday, unless he's sick or something like that, um, of the year. And there's these four Sundays out of the year because of the sport that he does um, where we need a, well, does he come to church? Does he not? And so those are the, those are the things that we, and, and there's there's other things that you can do when things like that come up, you know. He goes to youth group on Sunday night, you know. Um, and so he is getting some type of worship, some type of feeding of God's word that day anyways. Um, One reality, too, is we live in this society and culture that does not honor the Sabbath. And so yeah. because of that, there's a lot of things that happen that are, that are events or whatever. Like, I know I missed a birthday party just today, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's. Yeah, typically people don't do that any still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so there's someone coming from a totally different culture. Um, yeah, and. Mm-hmm. During church, and it was yeah. Two in a row, and we said that. Yeah. So, getting us back to that conviction is about being legalistic and weighing what's going on. Yeah. Yep. All right. Of civil government. We believe that civil government is of divine appointment for the interests and good order of human society. And that magistrates are to be prayed for, conscientiously honored, and obeyed, except only in things opposed to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord of the conscience, and the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. Yeah, Yeah. and so we, we dealt with this a little bit in the book of Acts, right, when Paul uh, appealed to Caesar and, you know, put forward his Roman citizenship. Uh, And so there is a role that God has established 
uh, with the civil government um, for our good. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I know. it's hard to believe that, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even the most corrupt governments, uh, it, it could always be worse. It's better than anarchy. It's better than anarchy. Even North Korea is better than anarchy. Um, it, it's hard to fathom that in our minds, but it's true. Um, and so these these leaders who, who govern over us, they are also appointed by God. And we learn that from the book of Romans. Um, and the other thing, too, is because they are appointed by God, they have specific duties that they need to abide to, um, that they will be judged upon. And so corrupt government rulers, even though they may get away with a lot in this life, they will not get away with what, they, what took place in the next. Um, and so we can be assured that justice will be served. Um, but yeah, and then as far as when worldly magistrates command us to do things that are opposed to God's will, well, we have every right as Christians to say no. Um, that's what God's word teaches us. We, see that, we saw that in the book of Acts early on, right? When they commanded the apostles to not teach in the name of Jesus. And what did Peter say to them? You know? Yeah, are we to obey man or are we to obey God? Um, yeah. What about during COVID when they said we couldn't meet? Yeah, and that's something that we as churches needed to discuss because we honestly we had never as a church throughout history I don't know if we'd ever gone through anything like that, um, and so what was a Christian thing to do, you know? Uh, and there was disagreements at the time, uh, and I wasn't here at New Hope Church. I don't know what you guys decided to do. Um, but I remember when I was at my church in Allegan, um, you know, there was the two weeks to stem the curve. Um, and so that's what we had decided. We'll, we'll do two weeks. We'll do some online things for two weeks, and then we'll get back together. Well, two weeks extended into 14 weeks, you know. And... Uh, being a congregational church, I had a real difficult time trying to convince people that we needed to start meeting again. Um, and it was uh, challenging for a lot of pastors. I'll just say that because pastors were put in a no-win situation because you had members within the church that were split, that were divided over this issue. Um, that were battling with one another. You had members within own, their own families that were split, divided over this issue. And, you know, a pastor had never faced anything like this before, and now they need to start making these decisions and start leading the church. And um, no matter what they decided to do, they were going to be the bad guy. Um, that's, what, that's what the enemy does. Yeah. That's what, exactly what all that was about. At the time I attended a church that never missed a beat. And there were, on Sunday mornings, there were four or hundred strong mm -hmm. that came and uh, worshipped. And it was zeal and praise. And, um, so the enemy gained victory through COVID in a lot of homes, yep. and it, it afforded people the excuse of not meeting, not assembling ourselves together, yeah. Yeah. and encouraging one another, and so much the more as the day approaches, yeah. which is Hebrews. And to this day, I dare say that there are people who have never gotten back into the practice. Oh, yeah. 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 And that, that's what's really sad about what happened with COVID. Um, and I would, looking back on it, I, I would never shut down the church again. Never. Um, I think a lot of 
pastors would conclude that today looking back. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely um, detrimental yeah. to the Christian faith. Yeah. One thing, real quick, to your point, Lorraine, too, is that initially the government, governor came out and declared that churches had been closed in the initial two weeks flat next to curve. And then she removed it from the additional guidelines because it was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. They didn't promote the fact that it was new. Yeah. So a lot of churches didn't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was designed. Yeah, it, the whole thing was. Yeah. Uh, it was. Right. That's what happens when you let fear govern you. Uh-huh. Right. It's um, interesting. Kelly just reminded me we had a double uh, problem going on here this week. We met in a school building, so. We yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the other the other issue because yeah, you guys we didn't have this building at the time and the meeting in the school and um, that just what do you do, you know? Church outside, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You do what you can, right? All right, we got to end here. Service is going to start and seven, eight minutes. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for uh, what you're teaching us, and uh, we thank you for your word and how powerful it is. And uh, as we go through these different uh, doctrines, the statement of faith, Lord, we just pray that you continue to help us to understand them, help us to um, know what it is that we believe so that we can be uh, living our, our Christian lives Um, to the fullest extent that we can. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.